podcast about words. About music. I'm Chris Wade. And I'm Molly O'Brien. And introducing on guitar, it's Mr. Brian Head Welch. Guitars for Corn during their late 90s heyday, Head rode waves of decadence and depravity as the band rose to become the undisputed kings of new metal and arguably one of the last truly dominant rock bands. Mm-hmm. Before quitting Corn, getting sober, finding Jesus, and rejoining Corn. And today we'll all we'll be learning all about Head's life, the reign of Corn, and more from his book, Save Me for Myself. How I found God, quit corn, kick drugs, and live to tell my story. Sobering stuff. Literally. Shout out, shout out to Jesus. But first let's introduce our own special guest today. On loan from Street Fight Radio, it's Brian Quimby. Hey Brian, what's up? Hey, how are you guys doing? Uh, <laughs> Fantastic. We're doing great. I, I feel like I should note, uh, if you are uh, generally considered uh, one of the fathers of Chapo, and Chapo was one of the things that influenced me, that uh, inspired us to start this show, you are, in a way, this show's uh, uh, grandfather, you know? I think Chapo's my dad now. They, they've <laughs> surpassed me, and now they're my dad, and I have to be their son. Yeah, they're like one of those Greek myths where uh, the uh, the kid has to go and like beat up the dad. You gotta go kill your daddy yeah, if you're gonna exactly. be a man. <laughs> I hope they that's don't how, kill me. That's how manhood that's... works. <laughs> yeah. Kill your dad, and then your kid can kill you. Woohoo! Feels good. Um, so, Brian, I've seen you talk about corn uh, many times on Twitter, most specifically with a former guest of this show, Shanti Collins, who I know shares your undying uh, appreciation for for the heavy rock of the late '90s. Uh, and you came and you had him on your show recently, right? Yeah, we talked corn a decent. We talked metal. I don't think I made him talk about corn necessarily. <laughs> I know there's like a weird thing with like I don't know. Like people don't love corn. Like, you know, yeah. That are in my circles aren't a huge fan of them. So it's every time they're like, I feel like people think I'm lying, but I actually like corn. They're they're cool. I did a whole show about new metal mm-hmm. on our mm-hmm. on our bonus feed. The whole we added the songs in and we talked about like our feelings about that kind of music. And it was just what I was into when everybody else was probably listening to like cool stuff like indie rock or or rap or whatever at the time. Yeah. <laughs> well, like most of the stuff from the nineties, it feels like only the things that were really indie at that time got le- legacy label. Cool. Like, I don't know if you were into like pavement or whatever in the nineties, like that's one of the bands that you look back on. It's like, Oh, they were a cool band of the nineties, but all the overculture stuff, the corn things that every boy age 12 to, I don't know, 25 had a poster of in their room that, that kind of got uh, swept away into the nineties dust band. So I think that there's been a long-term project of trying to reclaim some of that stuff and also just be able to say, I'm me. I like corn. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's happening. I think they're becoming, I think it's, it's, I've seen it change over the time that I've been kind of doing what I do. I've seen it. I've seen people start to be like, they weren't that bad. (laughs) Yeah. They did so much corny stuff, but like, it's hard for me to imagine that every, like, even like pavement probably did some corny shit at some time yeah, in their yeah. life. It's just, <laughs> I, I don't, I, yeah. I'm just like, whatever. You know? Yeah. And, <laughs> like, and I mean, I, I think like we'll all- talk about this a little more later, but the fact that they were uh, a rock band that was like stylistically distinct from pop music, which was a totally different thing, you know, but they were huge at the same time. They yeah. were as, as big as the pop artists. They sold crazy amounts of albums, yeah. like unfathomable now. And now even things that you would consider 
you know, rock bands. I don't know. Your imagined imagined dragons sound almost indistinguishable structurally and sonically from pop acts. So it, it really harkens back to a time when rock was different from pop. You know, I think people were still fighting a lot too about like there's a thing that has happened in the past probably ten years or so where like everybody finds their group. Mm -hmm. So the people that like something all just gather around each other. And the people that don't like it don't give a shit about yeah. it. You yeah. know? And then back then it was like, I don't fucking like the Backstreet Boys. I like corn. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and those <laughs> things seem like things that, that should be enemies of each other. Yeah, it was a weird macho posturing, I think, <laughs> that I was doing, at least. You had to be fans of things, but also be actively anti-fans of other things yeah. that was equally part of the of fandom um, yeah you didn't just stand your faves you also threatened the others yeah no yeah i hated i like hated the other stuff or like because yeah. this was a time i i think i was like in my early 20s and 19 where like TRL was like important to me mm -hmm. and it seemed important culturally like whatever was on there was huge and I remember when Got the Life like was number three on there and it was mm -hmm. like holy shit we won <laughs> yeah. won what because <laughs> I, I remember feeling the same way about shit like um, I think I've mentioned this on the show before the summer that um, Sum 41's Fat Lip and uh, I believe InSync's Pop were uh, battling, battling it out to get out. number one on, uh, on TRL I knew in my head like look I like this band it being on TRL this is like whatever a TV show, it doesn't really matter to me. But in another way it was like, Oh, I'm feeling like my, my place in pop culture is, is winning this summer. And it felt important that time. I'm sure that was a very similar to like the, whatever summer it was that free, that the uh, follow the leader stuff was battling it out for number one. Yeah, it, it was great. I just like, I called TRL to request. <laughs> corn songs. That's like, real. I was just so into them. I was so into them from such an early time. Like, I got into them in 1995 was the first time I ever saw them in concert. They were opening for Megadeth. Yeah. Sure. That sounds yeah. great. <laughs> and like, sure I had already kind of been into them because my brother, my older brother went and saw Korn, Danzig, and Marilyn Manson. Another great show. Yeah. And he, he was just like, he came home and he couldn't stop talking about Korn. <laughs> <laughs> had just gotten a job at a McDonald's. And my first paycheck came, and I, I like I still have it. I think it was seventy three dollars, and I bought a quarter of weed, and I bought Corn's <laughs> like uh, first album, and was just I listened to that. That I wouldn't say I listened to metal mm -hmm. for two and mm -hmm. a half years. I would say I listened to Corn for two and a half years, right. and before Damn. I started listening to Deftones and stuff like that. Yeah, so you you got in like incredibly early because that was a little bit before they broke. They were like developing sort of a cult following, but they hadn't really nationwide broken yet. Yeah. And it felt so like, I, I mean, like I remember being so mad that they were getting more famous. Mm -hmm. like, I remember yes. I was, they were your, they were your boys. School. Yeah. I, Cause when I was in high school, I wore corn shirts and people would make fun of me. Well, what's corn, you know? And you're like, <laughs> and why is it spelled with a K? <laughs> <laughs> what's wrong? What's wrong with that weird R? Yeah. And then like two years later, everybody yeah, was yeah. listening to corn. There was no male in school, like no young male in the Midwest that wasn't like, I really respond to hating my dad. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 
Oh man. So we're kind of in this segment now. We usually do this. We've gotten a lot of like where your appreciation with corn was. You were hard core corn fan, uh, in your, in your teens. Uh, did that like kind of wane off? Was there a time where you kind of felt like, eh, I'm a little like corn's a little behind me now as that, as they moved into like the aughts and stuff. Yeah. What happened was that I got really into Deftones, mm-hmm. which I think was like made a real hard turn in the type of music. Cause I still liked corn. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to always be like, you know how people would always be like the Beatles, the Rolling Stones and the who they're the most, yeah, three yeah. most important bands in the history of rock and roll. Yeah. Well, I was like that about Corn, Deftones, and Limp Biscuit. Like, sure. I yeah. just thought they were the greatest bands ever. And, but Deftones has a more alternate alt rock sensibility, mm-hmm. you know? And, and they like took, they would talk about their influences. And he would talk about how his influences were like The Cure. And then, like, they covered Weezer, and they would always talk about Radiohead when they were in interviews. And so I know it was just like, to try to make them seem different right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but it was like i i started checking out that music and then yeah. kind of veered out of like the metal thing i didn't get back into corn until like two years ago we got free tickets to a concert oh hell yeah and that- it was just like i was standing there and i was like man it's crazy that this doesn't get any respect like i'm standing in an in a like a an amphitheater yeah with like so many people in this in this pit it, and it was all just like dudes that like are roofers for a living you know? <laughs> and like me and brett were there and like when that mosh pit broke out it was so violent like the ones that i remember being in yeah. when i was younger and it was just i just felt like all, all i can all p- these picture is just like strappy pants just like a, a dervish of just strapped just whipping pants. against each other yeah it's like a, a, a tasmanian devil dirt cloud but instead of arms and legs coming out of it it's pants straps that's what it was back in the back yeah, when yeah. i was a teen now it is like i mean it's basically dudes that go to work every day on like a roof or on a construction site and then they get home and they drink like 15 beers and pass out you know it's like those are the people that are really into it. And like, they usually, I mean, you talk about the working class, like they have reasons to be fucking pissed. Yeah. So I think that's the other reason while they, why I, they still identify with corn because corn is about being pissed off, mm-hmm. you know? And I wasn't that way. Like I, I kind of veered out of that and kind of wasn't that way for a long time. But now that I'm on the road and shit, we tour and stuff. It's just like you run out of new music to listen to. You get tired of stuff and you start going back and listening to stuff that was like influential to you. And I'm like, this stuff is not that bad. Yeah. <laughs> so let's Molly, let's do you, you and me really quick. Uh, what's your experience with corn from before this? Very minimal. Like I honestly don't think I actually heard a corn song at the time that they were big. Cause like, you know, I was a bit younger. I think it's descriptive of like the fandoms that I had in like 97 and to 99 or 2000 was like was in sync and the Backstreet Boys and Britney Spears because I was a, like a tween girl. But my first ever um, concert was Christina Aguilera in 1999. And my second concert was Deftones in 2002. So I like went hard left at some point (laughs) and but the thing i the thing i think is interesting about those two kinds of like both popular music and that corn was very popular and like the pop music was very popular was that 
the pop music that I was into was basically just about like standing in your seat and like screaming at the top of your lungs. But like corn is about like moving and kind of like destroy, not destroying shit exactly, but it's about like getting energy out as opposed to just like taking it in performing aggression, performing aggression instead of just performing like adoration. So I just, I think that was interesting how I kind of moved from, from one to the other. But at the, at the time that they were big, I was very like very removed from corn. What about you, Chris? Uh, I had a friend in middle school who was like the one friend I was able to make at the time. And early in our friendship, I was grateful for it. But then later it became weird and controlling where I was just like, I would go to his house and like do what he said. Yeah. Uh, because I couldn't make any other friends mm-hmm. <laughs> at that time. This doesn't mean to be that such a sad sex story, but just to say that his favorite band was Corn. Yeah. And I really associated that period of my life with Corn, which was like sad, angry, probably pre-stoner, unpopular kids, uh-huh. like playing video games and being angry and listening to Corn. Uh, and then when I like kind of broke out in, in high school, like the kids I ended up hanging out with were, were more indie kids. So I ended up putting that, those bands into like a flourishing of my, my life in a, in a bit of a way. And, and, mm-hmm. and so I don't know, Corn was always one of those bands. And I've said this about Marilyn Manson that like the slightly scarier older kids liked, yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> Which is to say that, and also I, I, and I said the same thing about Manson that I found their like aesthetic a little visually gross uh-huh. at the time. Like it didn't quite uh, uh, resonate with me. So I guess I, I, I don't think I ever gave them their fair shake because they, they were associated with like gross and scariness. Their reputation preceded and them. Also, yeah. And also like a time that I was like very uncomfortable being myself. I was really, I was though really into Limp Biscuit, but I think that's mm-hmm. because they were a little bit sillier. You know, and e- easier to get into. So I, I bought both. Uh, I had chocolate starfish. I bought the one right before that uh, with the hoodie guy graffiti on the graffiti street, whatever album, Limp Bizkit album that was. I bought those with some of my first of my own money. <laughs> uh, so so I had like a little new metal streak that I quickly quickly put away. But that was basically my association with corn then. Yeah. My wife, actually, it's interesting. She was she was super into Limp Bizkit and Deftones and hated corn. Like their aesthetic. She he, she always just says their aesthetic was like really male. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like the sharp lettering and the gritty cartoons. I think we'll talk about it more when we get into it. But it is like. There's something very similar about that. And also Marilyn Manson has a lot of that similar, like just overtly gross aesthetic. Yeah. They, that's what drew me to them. Like I went to a record store and they would have the posters all over the walls and he had a corn poster. This dude did not like corn. Like he thought they were the worst band in the world. He was like an old punk, Yeah, yeah. you know, and he was just like, but he had this poster up right behind the counter that he sat at. And I was like, those are the coolest looking guys I've ever seen. In my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of like there's a strain of that aesthetic that's like guys doing the most. Like, think of like the Weezer Blue cover. Like, that is a very uh, effectively, effectively minimalist cover of just like twee guys and sweaters and whatever. And it's like, yeah. those are guys doing the least. And then you look at a corn poster and it's like dreads and straps and heavy metal type typography and makeup yeah, it's and a like, lot of effort. Yeah. Honestly. The the, the Adidas tracksuits were so fucking cool. Yeah. Like, yeah. D- like I the what I did a little bit of time as a weed dealer. Nice. And I wore an Adidas tracksuit every yes. single day. <laughs> it's a classic. Yeah. And it's it's timeless. 
All right, Molly, should we get into Brian's yeah. life? Let's get into Brian's life. Um, we'll we'll kind of sketch his, you know, as you could probably tell from the title, it's a it's a redemption tale, mm-hmm. but probably one of the more extreme ones that we've talked about on this okay. show. So um, he's born on June 19th, 1970 in Bakersfield, California, which he uh, seems to affectionately, but also not affectionately refer to as Baco. Um, <laughs> The kids from Baco. His parents run a truck stop, a Chevron truck stop. Okay. Um, they and they're together, which I feel like a lot of um, a lot of uh, narratives are the uh, rock star narratives are the product. Kids are a product of divorce, but like his parents are some kind of early traumatic split. Yeah, they're just so trucking together. Does he call it Baco because of the presence of weed? It's B. It's B. He spells it B A K O. <laughs> Maybe that's just because he's in he's in corn with the Well, it's K. just like, I just imagine that area, or always think of that area as just hot, dry, and isolated. Yeah, ba- it's bacon and bacon. Um, he gets interested in playing a musical instrument when he's 10. He wants to be a drummer, and his dad is like, that's way too much equipment to tote around. Why don't you try guitar? <laughs> um <laughs> And he gets a PV Mystic, which he describes as maybe the most metal-looking guitar ever made, which I looked it up, and it's true. It looks incredibly metal. Uh, PVs have a lot of sharp edges to them. Mm. <laughs> um, he's into his other big interest My, when he's a, a PV, kid. PV, I also, I, I have an association with that brand Yeah, uh, where it's like the kids who want to play guitar, but but everybody, including their parents, know that they aren't serious enough to like get a real set. You get yeah. like the PV amp. It's like 80 instead of like the $500 Marshall amp. Got it. They're just seeing if it sticks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that makes sense. Um, he's also really into slasher movies. Um, he says, I like to see people get slaughtered and there was always a scene with a naked girl. It's true. Yep. It's a good recommendation I, for, for 80s horror movies. Yep. <laughs> I um, just got, I just started watching a TV show last night called... Uh, Strike Back, which is like all nudity and murder, and I love it. So I really identify with. It. Yeah, <laughs> nudity and murder is like. Yeah, you're never gonna go wrong. Yeah, ever. <laughs> I was just reading. I forget who I was reading talking about this, but it's like the the loss of just casual boobs, and now I would also argue for dick in movies, in horror movies, like even a a, a dumb like a Fast and Furious or something, which should just be like guns and cars or whatever. Yeah. Those movies should have nudity in them. It's yeah. it's absolutely reactionary garbage that they do not. More more naked parts in things, yes. 2018. Uh, so Brian is basically, or I guess I should call him Head. It seems like he is often mostly referred to as Head. So Head is basically into, he's into guitar, he's into metal, he's into smoking weed. He does have an experience when he's young where his friend's mom tells him she says, if you ask Jesus in your heart, he will save you. And he says he experiences a feeling of like calm for like a day. And then he forgets about it for the next like 15 years. But he noticed he like this. He has this little like mini religious experience that he kind of like pockets for a while. Uh, he he has a feeling for a day and then his friend drives by with his next quarter of weed. Yeah. And he's like <laughs> on to the next one. Yeah. Um, and so he actually knows most of the guys from Corn when he's still in high school, but it takes a little minute for the stars to kind of align on what the band actually is. So he, in late high school, he's in a band called Pierced. That's P-I-E-R-C-T. Pierced breaks up after one show. Um, and then some of the friends from Pierced move to LA and they start a band called LAPD. LAPD is like, it sounds like it's kind of like a Red Hot Chili Peppers aspiring type of band and it stands for Love and Peace Dude. And then they decide to change it to laughing as people die. 
I didn't listen to it very much. It was more of like one of those, like, you see it at the store and you're like, holy shit, I read. Like, because I, like, I was a super fan. Like, yeah, I yeah. knew everything about corn. And I was like, holy shit, they got LAPD bootlegs. And <laughs> I bought it. It sucked. I, it was <laughs> not good. <laughs> Even was, at the time, I was like, this is corny. <laughs> uh, was it more of the, was it more of laughing as people die or was it more love and peace, dude? Like, had they kind of turned their focus? Yet. It was love and peace, dude. Like I was listening to. It wasn't. It was like, uh, yeah, you you described it perfectly. Like Red Hot Chili Peppers, uh, Infectious Grooves, yeah, like California. Like fun. all those bands had a previous band that was like really inspired by Faith No More and Suicidal Tendencies. Sure, like, yeah. <laughs> those two bands seem and and Red Hot Chili Peppers. Those are three bands that seem like they. Every one of those bands like liked those three bands. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I'm sure if you were anywhere in the Southern California area and interested in like rock music performance and also guitar and you were in LA, you know, and the Chili Peppers were coming up, then you'd be like, oh, this is the new thing. This is like the new way that rock music sounds. Yeah. Oh, you can really like play the hell out of bass. You just don't you don't have to do like just bass lines You can like move that thing all around. <laughs> Um, yeah, so LAPD is a thing. And it's also, so, not to yeah. harp on this, it's also so funny to name a, a hippie peace band LAPD. Right. Yeah. In like the early 90s. <laughs> yeah. You could not name, it could be not a worse time to name your band no. LAPD. Yeah. You're, right, you're <laughs> on the verge of needing a serious rebrand. Yeah. Yikes. Um, so he, he's playing guitar, but he's not an LAPD and I think he kind of feels left out. And so at this point he's basically like, he had this relationship with a girl and he basically admitted to like verbally abusing her more or less. She left him. He is not in a band. Like he graduated from high school. His hair is too long to work at the Chevron that his parents own. Like he, he's, he doesn't have Chevron approved hair and he refuses to cut it, which I think tells you everything about this guy. Too, too dirtbag for the Bakersfield Chevron in 1989 or whenever this is, 1990. Yeah. Oh, that's so depressing. Like, <laughs> that he couldn't, his parents, like his parents wouldn't hire him to work at a truck stop. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's a form of tough of truck, truck love, truck love. <laughs> of being like, look, if we hire this kid to, to work at this truck stop, that's the only thing he's ever going to do in his life. Maybe well, you're totally right. Like if they had hired him to like, like, you know, mop out the showers or something like that, he would have been the manager. Yeah. Yeah. And like 10 <laughs> years because his parents would have just kept moving him up the chain. <laughs> <Yes>. Yeah. <laughs> until he got a Chevron of his own. Yeah. Yeah, but I would love a Chevron. That, that would be sweet. Well, I feel like low, probably low overhead. You probably have to break up a lot of fights at a Chevron. Yeah, you just let the him, long, you just let him peter out. Yeah, <laughs> the long hair thing is crazy. Like that, those were not like he's talking about like the nineties. Yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't like long hair was didn't freak yes. people out. In yeah, the 90s. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like imagine being a trucker in the nineties, rolling through Bakersfield and looking out the side of your, your, your car, your truck and seeing a long haired kid, like washing the side of something, being like, nah, can't stop here. Got to go to the nicer <laughs> Chevron. 
He's the truckers probably have long hair in the nineties. Right. Like <laughs> like everybody had long hair in the. Yeah. I had long hair at one point in the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, blessing in disguise. Um, so he at this point, um, LAPD breaks up and they reform as Creep. And th- this is when they're like, "Hey, head, would you like to play with us?" And he's like, "Absolutely." Uh, I I hoped you, you would ask. And then they find Jonathan Davis, the lead singer of what eventually becomes Corn. They poach him from a band called Sex Sex Art. <laughs> so Jonathan, such a Jonathan Davis name. Yeah, yeah. And Jonathan Davis at this point, he was working. Sex Art was the uh, original name for Lady Gaga's third album, right? <laughs> yeah, Sex Art, Art Pop. Yeah. Yeah, um, Sex Pop. She, uh, uh, Jonathan Davis at this point is working at a coroner's office. Uh, appropriate. And of he course. asked a psychic um, whether he should join Corn, and the, the psychic said, "Do it." <laughs> Jonathan Davis is like the coolest man that's ever <laughs> lived to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I was looking his- through some of his uh, '90s styles uh, the other day, and just like headlining a festival wearing uh, like a Coors Light T-shirt under like an Adidas tra- unzipped Adidas <laughs> tracksuit, and like really pulling it off and making it look alt. He's got, he can really, he can really do it. Hey, I mean, it was so cool because like, you got to think about like who I, like where the, the time that I grew up, like NWA mm-hmm. and like rap was really fucking cool yeah. when I was growing up and everybody dressed like hip, like a hip hop. Like I dressed like a hip hop style in this, in the sixth grade, like, and mm-hmm. all I listened to was rap and in the seventh yeah. and eighth and ninth. Right. And then I found corn when I was in the 10th grade and I was like, but these guys kind of even look like me, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean? like, yeah. they don't, they don't dress like geeks. They or they don't dress like they don't wear like tight pants or they don't wear mm-hmm. like flannel and grunge shit. And yeah, they, yeah. They, just, they just looked like rock stars would look Mm-hmm. Like if I was one, you know, right. that that was the first time I'd ever seen a bunch of guys that looked like the people I was running around with. Yeah. That was <laughs> except for the dreadlocks, but that, which is like, that's the thing about Jonathan Davis. He was in a band called Sex Art, right? <laughs> and he was a coroner and he like has HIV tattooed on his arm. Oh, my God. And like, it's crazy. The yeah. guy is he's so he has a. He has a microphone stand made by H.R. Geiger. Like, he is such. <laughs> He's got the whole thing. Yeah, he did the whole thing. He built a lore for himself that, yeah. like, I wish I could do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He had a certain, he had a certain something. Um, Head was like, Head thought he looked like a scarecrow when he first saw him, but he said that, like, his voice was, you know, he, has, he does have an amazing and very unique voice. So I think he was the perfect, the perfect fit for corn. Um, Head doesn't talk a lot about the actual process of writing music, really, or even honestly playing it a lot in this. And I think it's probably because he's distracted by eventually going to tell us about Jesus. <laughs> like, so I think he, he's maybe not super stoked on like the actual art he made with Korn. Um, but he basically said, I think this is a good way to sum it up. He said, it felt good to be angry and vent through our heavy music. Like, that's, that's Korn in a nutshell, probably. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so I, I think one of the was I was going back and listening through the stuff today to to prepare for this. Yeah. Um, and also in the in the uh, great uh, Stephen Hayden piece about corn that was just in the ringer that we'll link in this. Yeah. Um, he really talks about and I was thinking about like the groove of these songs like these aren't abrasively yeah. heavy metal songs 
like uh, Megadeth or, or even Metallica, where it's like about sharp angles or like starting and stopping really quickly and, you know, just speed and precision. Like these are these are groovy songs that have that uh, funk influence a little bit for at least from uh, from the uh, like 80s L.A. scene. And mm-hmm. I guess the LAPD days. Um, <laughs> and it, it really puts you in the pocket to, to be mad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's good to be Dude, ryth- it, rhythmically mad. Yeah. Yeah, it's it. I mean, it sounds more violent than that other stuff to me. Like, did did you? Uh, I mean, I'm sure you you like didn't check it out or anything. But but Sepultura was a band mm-hmm. that like in that era, right after Corn came out, like they had, were previously one kind of metal, and then after Corn came out, they changed to yeah. do new metal, and they were yeah. just like, because this is just brutal. It's brutal music. Like that early Corn stuff is. I mean, it feels heavy when you see it live. I mean, I, I was 16 or 17 when I was going to these concerts, and it just, it was so fucking loud. Yeah. And they never stopped moving on stage. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, the, like, YouTube clips that I've seen are incredibly intense, and I feel like they, it, they're maybe a little bit unfairly labeled new metal because it seemed like everyone after them was more new metal, like, took their influences <laughs> and kind of, like, you know... It's like full bands with a DJ on stage kind of thing that <laughs> yeah. they they didn't quite do. Although maybe they do now, and that's that's okay if they do that. Not to hate on on DJs in rock bands, but maybe a little <laughs> bit. Uh, the other thing I would just note is, as you were saying, uh, Davis's voice and his kind of range and his version of hard soft hard hard soft, like the kind of like high pitched high pitched whisper, like thing, <laughs> down into just like utter guttural screaming that he can flip on a dime is. Does he have the range? He might have the range. <laughs> is, it's just like so expressive and so captures or so puts emotion into these songs where, you know, even when he's just singing all day, I dream about sex. You're like, yeah, I mean, this guy really passionately dreams about sex all day. <laughs> well, and like it feels so like I think the song Daddy on the first album mm-hmm. really made so, like he cried in that song. Yeah. yeah. And I think when I was growing up, I was just like, God, man, this guy like feels things (laughs) way stronger than I do. Yeah. (laughs) He's like almost like a professional level level, like guy that has feelings. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder. It's it's crazy that he never acted in anything. Yeah. And I think he's just Jonathan Davis. I think that's the thing about he's not a guy that a lot of people look into. But if you start putting the pieces together of who Jonathan Davis is, you're like, what a fucking weirdo. Yeah. (laughs) This guy is like he seems like he's flying under the radar almost. It's like a great rock and roll weirdo. Right. Um, that Stephen Hayden piece that you referred to, they he called it emotional terrorism. That that sense of like really weaponizing his emotions. Yeah. <laughs> so emotional terrorist Jonathan Davis. Um, so back to Head. Head was like, so he's happy. He's making heavy music. He you know was kind of drinking beer and smoking weed, and then he's introduced to Speed. Through this guy named Ball Tongue, who is their manager slash just kind of friend. You know, it's in the early stages of the band where everyone's kind of like your manager and your merch guy and your booker and whoever, like just these random people hanging out. Um, but he starts doing speed and he says, every week I was tweaking on so much speed. I started calling my weekends tweakends. 
my life started getting really <laughs> evil. That's the way he talked about being on speed after a while. I was like, shit got evil, which I think is interesting. Wait, can we talk a little bit about ball tongue? Yeah, ball tongue. Do we assume that ball tongue had a, a very prominent tongue piercing? Yeah, I think so. That would be the most obvious, but uh, let's hope it's, I think, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the other image that that suggests uh, is, I guess, more uh, a lewd, but it could also be true. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. the the song there's a song called Ball Tongue on the first album. Then that's the first song he ever like scats in, and I always <laughs> did assume they were doing a joke about guy can't like talk because he has a, a tongue piercing. I think is what I had always chalked it up. To. Yeah. <laughs> he's like that character in in the movie Rat Race who just got his tongue piercing. And I can't hang anything off. That was Ball Tongue. He never that actually spoke classic. real words to people, but he just gave them drugs and inspired and I guess people music. And kind of made I don't know. Um, yeah. Speed so is evil, he, he gets into speed. He also meets this girl named Rebecca, and uh, he refers to Rebecca as, as a wild spaz, um, but they hit it off. They hit it off so well that she gets pregnant around the same time that Korn gets a record deal. And... Head is 24 at the time, and I think she's maybe a little younger. They decide to give the baby away, so they put up the baby up for adoption. And then uh, Head says, a part of me died that day. We immediately went to a friend's house and did a ton of speed together. We just sat there high on meth trying to deal with our broken hearts in silence. That so, does not seem like a good way to process grief. Yeah, not my favorite speed, way, personally. Speed is such a like fucking dirty thing to be in. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I like speed. Like I take it, but people that get super into speed. Yeah. It does go to some pretty crazy fucking places. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. He says at one point, cause he obviously gets super addicted to speed into but speed. He has like, he says he has like different brands. Like he has like eight different brands of speed going, which I guess is a lot, a <laughs> lot of brands. <laughs> yeah. To be, to I mean, when you're roster. able to identify that many shades of speed and be able to, call them up and need certain ones at different times. I mean, you've got a, a pretty speed regimented life, which as you said, is a pretty dark place. Yeah. yeah. Living, um, living in Bakersfield must've been fucking terrible. Cause all those dudes got hooked on speed. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's the craziest fucking drug for a bunch of teenagers. Yeah. I mean, I know that like kids do Adderall, like yeah. college kids and teenagers do Adderall now, mm -hmm. but like those guys were doing meth. Yeah, mm -hmm. it, like they were snorting something when when they were that like young. To me, it's like well, I like I tried it after I waited till after high school. Like I yeah. you got to let your brain develop a little bit. <laughs> yeah, got yeah. Out of, I did a lot of drugs in high school too, but I didn't like do speed. Yeah, yeah. To, there like, was like any I read real a, meth. I, I read a 1998 spin profile of Corn where they go back to Bakersfield. Um, and at the end, Jonathan Davis like kind of waves around at, at the glory of Bakersfield and is like, doesn't this make you want to start a band named Corn?" <laughs> I thought that was pretty, pretty good. I've never been to Bakersfield, so it's, it sounds, it was sound, sounds brutal at the time, at least for yeah. these people. A real, a real wasteland. Yeah. Um, and it's funny cause like Corn is getting su like successful. Like they're kind of on the up and up and he's, he's getting into this stuff pretty heavily. Um, so they released their first album self-titled. Corn, corn, um, and they Best start touring. That's when they do the Marilyn Manson Danzig uh, tour, which I noted because when we did, I don't know if you've read 
Marilyn Manson's uh, memoir, but he talked about the Danzig bus driver as like this absolutely diabolical figure <laughs> of just someone who constantly led them into temptation and sin. And so I imagine that this guy was also like this for, for the corn boys as well, even though he doesn't mention it. I, I did read his book. I read a long, hard road. Was it a long, hard, hard road, road out of hell, hell or has mm-hmm. he written one since then? It's a cre- it's a ridiculous book. There's a lot of a lot of shit that appears to be inspired by Danzig's tour tour bus driver. <laughs> yeah, that tour uh, that tour bus <laughs> driver, if I remember correctly, uh, seemed to be a a real nexus of negative influence. Uh, That's a crazy tour, tour, though. That that is a crazy tour. It, like yeah. if you think about the combination of people and the time in their life that yeah. were on that tour, it probably was fucking really crazy because i tour with one guy yeah and sometimes it gets a little fucking crazy (laughs) (laughs) yeah it sounds like it was pretty intense yeah and you've got like the guy uh, you know two up-and-coming groups that are both wild in their own ways and the energy of like an old guard crazy person coming in who's like oh let me show you ways to really be crazy let me show you kids ways to really fucking wild out yeah let me show you what you can get away with yeah, when you're exactly. in a band. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he's he has he describes his re- relationship with Rebecca, who is still with even even after their sort of baby related trauma. But he says um, that she cheats on him and he starts to physically abuse her, which is something that he like is open about. I think because he now he's like a Christian and he needs to atone for all of his shit. Um, but like, he's very open about the fact that he would like beat her up. Um, but then was also equally like she cheated on me. Like she was never like I was on tour and I would call and she'd never be home. So it's like, I don't know. It's an intense situation with Rebecca. Um, he, they record life is peachy. Um, at this point he really like, he stops talking about the music. Like he's just, the recording process is basically like, yeah, we go and we wrote a bunch of songs and we recorded them and it's done. But do we want to like, do we want to listen to something from Life is Peachy maybe? Uh, what's your favorite track off Life is Peachy, Brian? The Good God. I like Good God and I like Kill You on that album. Great. All right. We'll, we'll fade a little bit into this. Um, it's, it's kind of disappointing that he doesn't talk about it at all because they are such a sonically interesting band and there's a lot going on like with the guitar parts and uh yeah i think he basically to him at least he just like he goes in and he just makes like the heaviest music ever every day and then parties all night like just turns up it's not more heavy. complicated than that like we've i've read memoirs that it's like well we put the microphone like three feet from the kick drum and then we like you know we equalized it on this particular line. He does not do any of that shit. He's just like, yeah, yeah I played some guitar. <laughs> That's so depressing. Oh, that makes me so sick. Because this dude is like, he could write a ridiculously interesting book, but instead he wants to write about Jesus. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's really like, let's hurry up so we can. <laughs> yeah. God. And it just like knowing, like imagining the gear setup that would take to record like the second or third corn album and all the little different you know, technology things, whether they're playing like electronic drums at the time and how they're getting their sounds, like all that stuff as a gearhead is, is super interesting to me, but you now we're going mean, to, we got to hear the big turn about, uh, 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 once you were lost, now you're found. Yeah. Seven string guitars are fucking crazy interesting. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's crazy that they were using seven string guitars and like tuning them all the way down to make it sound just yeah. more and more like, like I think they get, as close to death metal as you can and still be listenable. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, a really that's good a, way to put it. Yep. 
because uh, look, I appreciate a lot of death metal, but it's not something that I sit around and, and really uh, listen to that much. Yeah, but like, I mean, you're not the the, the the stylistic impulses and like still putting a hook and a melody and pop structure into these songs. Yeah, um, they're so close to Cannibal Corpse. Like I yeah. always remember being like, they're so close to like Cannibal Corpse, but they don't like take that two there's like two steps they don't take <laughs> and it makes you feel like moving instead of just being like what in the fuck is this <laughs> uh, amazing um so we're you're, you're gonna pipe in the, the stuff yeah, after yeah. the fact great um so yes he life is peachy is recorded debuts at number three on the billboard charts which is pretty pretty impressive all things considered um but it's their third album which is follow the leader that's the big that really takes him into the big time. Um, and then, you know, kind of predictably so, he, you know, they get huge. They immediately, they lose all sense of freedom. Well, like, they're mobbed, basically, in this article that I read, um, the, in the, whatever piece it was about Jonathan Davis 20 years later, they announced a record signing at a, I think maybe like Virgin Records or something in New York. 9,000 kids showed up. 9,000! And like blocked the streets. And they had like a little mini, like it like the Beatles. I'm I was really fucking obsessed with this band. Like it's really hard to like, and every one of my friends that I, all my friends and I were like, if they had come here and did a signing, we would have like gone crazy and showed up. Like yeah. the second they came out, we started dressing like um, the album was the only thing that ever played at any parties, and like it was like we never even like switched it. It just the tape. <laughs> flipped or the cd (laughs) would be on repeat and this is like i remember the first i'm i might have the number like slightly off but the first 16 concerts i went to were corn concerts damn that's amazing that's an incredible run yeah. So you did you follow them out of town or semi out of town at some points to be able to see them that often no, because the Midwest is like a hot was like a hotbed of sure. yeah. of corn and Columbus, Ohio. Like, you know, within within the, by the time Life as Peachy had come out, there were ten bands that sounded like corn right. in Columbus, yeah. Ohio. Like immediately, it was it's still big here, and yeah. like that I think is maybe a testament to how big it was back then. Like it's like something gets really big. And then people trickle off, but we never think about the people who just stick with that thing. Yeah. I've said that about like uh, something you think of, like a movie like Fight Club. Like most people saw Fight Club and then they were like, oh, this is this is fucking great. And then like within two years, we're like, that was fucking stupid. But (laughs) there's still like a ton of people that like are basically living the Fight Club lifestyle. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. In an old abandoned soap factory. I saw Afro Man was touring. Oh, yeah. And he's coming to Columbus, Ohio soon, right? And I was just like, you know, every everybody was into that Afro Man song because yeah. I yeah. got high. Yeah. So that means a certain percentage of those people just stuck around and are still like big Afro Man fans. Yeah. <laughs> still still oh in 2018, God. be like, who are my favorite fans? I'd say uh, Afro Man first. <laughs> I'm going to do that sometime the next time someone asks me what kind of music I'm into. <laughs> if you say Afro Man, they'll they'll freak out a little bit, yeah. I think. If you were just... My uncle 
in the early 2000s when I was getting really into like Queens of the Stone Age and stuff like that, mm-hmm. maybe mid 2000s, my uncle was like really into Striper and was really relig- like literally religiously devoted to like flying. He, he's a truck driver. He yeah. like, isn't a guy with a ton of money. And he flew to California to go to a Striper convention. Yeah. Holy shit. This is, yeah, this is more life, Striper than I've This heard. is lifelong shit. Clearly. Yeah. I, I, here's something that I bet both you and I would say, being both from Ohio, but I'm sure also anybody from any other state that it doesn't touch a body of water, a major body <laughs> of water would say, is like, I can't believe these guys are from SoCal because this sounds like the culture of Ohio. It you know? does. It does. They, they capture, but Bakersfield is supposedly a lot like the rest of the country, right. you know, like it's inland yeah. in California. Yeah. And it's just like, once you get inside and you're basically not within an easy driving distance to the beach, you just get pissed off. It's like an entire culture of people that just don't know where to go on weekends. <laughs> yeah. You know, we were like, well, it, we're it, the weekend came and we're still here. Yeah. I don't. I don't know what to. Do. I can't do anything with that. I just have to listen to loud, angry music. Yeah, I. I just. Re- I like. I, everybody's so mad here, and like corn, that kind of music. Just it, people just gravitate to it. You, if think about like Slipknot is from Iowa. There we go. Like, uh, that's the one you, that that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. When you listen to it, you're like, this is definitely what Iowa's like, which is really weird. Because you want to tell parents, like, that's what you want to start to talk to, like, adults about. It's like every dude that doesn't live by a beach or in a city feels like this. Yeah. And you have to point to, like, seven guys and cut up uh, orange prison suits in full corpse paint banging on trash cans. You're like that's what they're that's what that's what they think that's what we are they think they they are <laughs> that's like 22 year old male in the middle of the country yeah. public opinion you can just find it by listening to like three disturbed songs you're like yeah I'm, I'm this is how I feel all the time <laughs> that's so good um let's let's keep going with with head so massive success. Uh, for corn, um, Rebecca gets pregnant again, and they decide to keep the baby. Um, have a daughter named J- I believe I'm pronouncing it Janaea. Janaea, um, who he has to bring Janaea basically on tour because he cannot trust Rebecca with her at home because she. Both of them are basically on and off addicted to speed, cocaine, alcohol, kind of everything. Um, but so he like he brings his baby on tour. Um, and he, he's trying to be sober, can't really get sober. The relationship is rocky. Um, he shares an anecdote. Let's go, let's take this to Woodstock 99. One of my favorite topics of all time. Yeah. I was there. Oh, I was at Woodstock. You were? <laughs> oh my God. Hell yeah. Okay. We've done a whole episode on Woodstock 99. So we're, we're deep in the lore of Woodstock 99. <laughs> yeah. I went, I went to that thing. I, I needed to see that. That's the first time I had left Ohio without like any parents or anything like That's that. I was so intense. Uh, I think 19 so years was old. That one of that first 16 run of concerts of corn <laughs> concerts. No, I was, I, I like all through high school, I probably went to one or two concerts every month. Cause these bands were cycling in here like mm-hmm. yeah. crazy. You could see Cold chamber, 
like you could at least every month you could see like Cole Chamber or like Marilyn Manson or Slipknot or Nonpoint or like all, just all those bands yeah. cycled through Ohio mm-hmm. a yeah. lot. Yeah. So I'd seen a lot of shows, but I mean that concert seemed so fucking important to me because like it, I mean first ICP was there and at that time. Like they were very big for me too, but seeing yeah. Rage Against the Machine was like a really big fucking deal for me, which yeah. seems weird with all my other taste. But like at the time, because I was also there to see like Corn and Limp Biscuit, yeah. But like Rage Against the Machine was probably one of my other favorite bands. I mean, I would go to almost any festival now to see a festival Rage show. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I, I like festivals, sort of. You know, it. I get. I think it like. I think like a five or six band thing that starts at like three o'clock in the afternoon and they're cool bands. Yeah. I think that's cool as hell. Like that seems like a, like for the summertime, like the prime way to go check out music. Yeah. Like, I'm hoping yeah. that the new metal nostalgia tours start soon. Oh yeah. Like soon. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, Woodstock 99 head had a blast there and it sounds like, you know, they played the Friday, so it wasn't as like, you know, shit strewn and uh, riot-esque. How, how late <laughs> did you stay on Sunday? Like, were, Sunday, you, I did, left, were you around for all of the like really crazy stuff? I left before the riot stuff happened. You know what was the crazy part that I was really intimately in the middle of and have pictures of uh-huh. is, and it's I've called I've described this as like one of the scariest moments of my life was I was in the mosh pit, like near the front when Limp Biscuit was on stage. Oh my oh, god, yeah. we've well, we've watched like, that video several <laughs> times. Uh, yeah. I mean, we're, we're really into Woodstock '99. People were it seems incredibly intense. Boards. People were crowd surfing on those boards. Yeah. And it was those fucking things were not small and light. So they would just come flying in and you, like people were getting fucking beat up with those. Things. Yeah. Yeah. Because that was the wall keeping, you know, unticketed people out and that was getting torn down. And then people were crowd surfing on it. The ultimate metaphor for what's done. <laughs> and you stand there and you you like I remember standing near the front of that pit and looking back into my sides and there was like nowhere that people weren't moshing. Yeah. Which is like, you know, when you're in a club, you can always just step right out of it. But when you just look around and you're like, I got to get the fuck out of this thing because I think it's dangerous. And then you have to just take off running full speed to get out. <laughs> that is so insane. Uh, that's amazing. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah, how was fucking corn at Woodstock '99? They were great. They uh, he played "Kill You." Like my big memory of corn at Woodstock '99 was they played the song "Kill You" and he cried at the end, mm. which is like that's one of my favorite songs. And like I said earlier, I loved it when that dude cried, yeah. which I know is such a fucking weird. To me now, I'm like, why did I like respond so much to that guy crying? Other than the fact that like. I didn't cry. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like a big crier, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, I think, I think we talked about like Woodstock 99 and that certain segment of bands that made it, it what it was aesthetic wise. I think we were talking about it more in like, we we're talking about Woodstock 99 as like a, a capital, a capitalist failure of like, they just gouged people and the people responded by taking advantage of every possible hole in that infrastructure. But then I also think like the new metal angle of like, 
man man violently feels things to give you permission to feel so, doesn't have to be as strong as that but clearly spoke to people who might have not been spoken to in that particular way that I think can also explain their popularity yeah because most people would just go in and pay the fucking four dollar waters you know like yeah. most people would have just gone and paid the four dollar waters but they decided to like attract all of the fucking most angry people in the world there like people that would drive to follow like corn and rage against the machine at that time were like the people that weren't listening to like pearl jam and shit you know i wasn't listening to like we weren't like fans of like cumbersome by seven mary three we were like (laughs) fucking too pissed off for that (laughs) (laughs) just imagining people swarming into the gates of this festival and just like watching everybody walk into this big celebration of music just like uh like vibrating with rage as they came in and be like, oh, man, I can't wait to get so fucking angry this weekend. I'm just going to get so mad and sad at all these bands. Like ICP went crazy for like they really went there and tried to make an impression. And the funny yeah. thing is they played right after the roots. <laughs> so God. it went from the roots to ICP. And then I had to run across the thing to get there for corn. You had to run the mile across the hot the hot tarmac to get to corn. <laughs> Yeah, that place was fucking like the the thing that that, that I, I the smell was the thing for me. Yes, that's like, I was, can only imagine. It was just so crazy. I'd never been anywhere that smelled that bad in my life. Like it was just it smelled like trash and then shit. It they yeah. wanted it so bad. Like I think that a lot of people gathered there wanting it to rain, like at Woodstock '94, because we like all watched that yeah. on MTV, and people were like sliding in the mud and they were throwing mud sure, and yeah, they were yeah. having yeah. this like really good time. And then we got there and it was like a hundred degrees, and we were standing on black asphalt all day. <laughs> oh my God. And then they were like, it "Well, really, let's just it really sounds like you, could, it, like you couldn't design an experiment." to break people down mentally better than Woodstock 99. <laughs> yeah. And then they were just playing around and shit. Like they were just dumping those porta potties to get a big mud pit. Oh my God. And then there was trash everywhere. Just, they invited the people that aren't going to throw their fucking trash away. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's not a lot of like self self policing going on at this kind of thing. <laughs> no, no one's recycling, no, for example. Well, it's, it was so that's, weird that Alanis Morissette played before Limp Biscuit. Like that crowd got rip, whipped into that frenzy, like so fast. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Alanis Morissette. That's Limp- a, this programming. Yeah. This lineup sounds like like insane. Although I guess I don't really know where you would put ICP, but like after the roots seems. So, you know, I guess it's random. just looking at them being like, I don't. They're like hip hop collectives. Exactly. I don't know. They just put them. <laughs> I guess these two things are like each other. Those guys, those guys taped hundred dollar bills to like big bouncy balls and kicked them into the audience. Oh my god! Oh my god! And people were just fucking going crazy trying to get those hundred dollar bills. Oh my god! Yeah, that's like what six waters. <laughs> yeah, there. right. It's like yeah. two pieces of pizza. They were power bombing people through tables on stage. Like it was fucking crazy. I like they kicked so much money into that crowd that I was just like, that's so cool. That <laughs> would just even do that. Like I would never think to do that. Yeah. <laughs> just throw money. And at also them. the they idea that like there that. are these like killer clown rappers who are also just like throwing that throwing money around. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I like that. They're probably throwing around like jive records money. This like the Backstreet Boys probably earned the money that got them <laughs> to throw it around a 
Woodstock 99. I think that's poetic. That is poetic. <laughs> that rules. <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, Woodstock 99, they had a great time. Uh, but after Woodstock 99, he Head says that he he parties all night. He he does. He's with Rebecca. They do ecstasy. They do cocaine. They party all the night through the next day. They fly back to California and then they have this like late night altercation at next to their pool, next to his parents' pool. And he says, I lost control and punched her in the face. I was very shocked at what I had done. I felt so horrible. So he just like socks his his baby mama. It's not a good scene. Um, she leaves him shortly thereafter, and then he it basically takes full custody of Jenea. Um, but he's at like this is basically his low point. Like he's doing drugs almost all the time, all kinds. Like he started using like pills as well as speed. He's basically suicidal. He's like, I'm looking forward to ODing. Like that that was basically his vibe at this time. And this is in like 2004. And so Corn by this time they're on their Sticks album. Um, they're at their, the point where they're doing a greatest hits, which is always, I feel like just like an interesting point for bands. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to go back one second cause I yeah. don't want to totally, how do I say this? I don't want to get too dark and serious, but I don't want to totally gloss over this domestic violence strain, Yeah, especially because Korn's music in the whole genre has like a very casual gloss uh, of, uh, misogyny mm-hmm. in it. I just want to like put a pin in that Yeah, you can't really just say that the music was, you know, oh, this is just anger, you know, uh, artistic anger exporting. Although I guess, you know, Davis is the one writing the things. But just to say that, like, it's telling, I think, a little bit that it's as the violence and misogyny is as real behind the mic and the music yes. as it is in front of it. Yes. And that those two things shouldn't necessarily be separated. Just wanted to put a pin on that. I think that's that's totally fair. He's It's a weird... It's weird the way he delivers this stuff because it's very matter of fact. And we don't, you know, this is an interesting time to talk about the concept of like forgiveness for past misdeeds with all this like Louis C.K. stuff that's going on right now. But he, yeah. you, you can't really see the evidence of what he has kind of done, if anything, to uh, repent for this particular, to use a like a Christian word, repent for these things that he's done. But he basically, the only thing, like he just says like, I did it. And I'm so sorry. And so I don't I don't really know what kind of like literary value that has. It's a it's it's odd. It's really odd to to read. It's a jarring experience to read for sure. I mean, when you when you were reading it, it came off to me like a dude talking in AA. Like, I think that's more the way that he's doing it, like where he's just like, well, I used to be this enormous piece of shit. And then those people that are like that. Like people that are, are, I was in narco, Narcotics Anonymous, and people will just sit and tell you like the worst fucking things that yeah. they've done, and you don't even know. Like sometimes they're probably exaggerating those things, but I believe that he he hit his hit his wife and stuff. It's just this book comes off so much as that. Like yes, kind of. It's a weird line between bragging about the things you did and got away with in the past and then also saying, well, I have to bring them up so that people can forgive me for them. Yeah. And it's also like the born again thing. I don't know. I I don't even want to say respect, but I like get people shifting to to survive their own themselves, like shifting their whole mindset and having to do that as like a coping mechanism. But there is always a little bit of a way that the born again thing 
I mean, part of the whole deal is basically like you get a carte blanche on the old on the old stuff. You get a clean slate. Yeah. As long as you as long as you've done this thing. And then that gives a little dissociation to the way people tend to write about it that, you know, Mm -hmm. doesn't doesn't seem like fully mentally realized. Yeah, I think that's fair. Mm -hmm. I think that's the yeah, the confession, you know, confession as absolution Mm -hmm. is may may or may not be true. He also definitely makes a point to talk about that. He didn't think very much of this woman anyway. Like it's not like, Oh, she was so great. And like, and sometimes I just couldn't control myself. It was like, no, she was like cheating on me. And like, you know, she was unreliable and she was not a good parent. Like, mm. so that's, Mm -hmm. it's a, it's tricky. This stuff. I don't think he's trying to make himself come off as a hero. But also, is that enough? He, he wrote a book about it. <laughs> he wrote a book about it. Um, so he's at this low point, and he's basically like, "I either need to, I like, I need to quit the band, or I need to quit drugs, or maybe both, and I don't know how to do it." And so at this point, he meets, he has these two guys in his life, Doug and Eric, and they're both Christians, and they're <laughs> sort the two of <laughs> new Christian friend ass names. <laughs> yeah, my Christian friend Doug. Um, and so they're kind of like nudging him toward the Lord um, in emails. So one of them sends him an email that's like, just, you know, a relationship with Jesus is personal. He's your confidant and friend. You can turn to him anytime in caps lock. <laughs> like he's getting, he's getting these evangelical messages. He subscribed to their newsletter. Yes. I wonder where he met him. Like, how did he meet D- Doug and Eric or whatever? That's a, great, that's a great question. He doesn't, I really don't, because he, he's, I think he has a house, like he lives in a neighborhood, so maybe there's some sort of community interaction, but like, he's also a famous rock star who's very much like secluded from life at the same time, so I don't really know how like Doug showed up. These guys are like Methodist shock troops who've been training for like <laughs> 10 years to do a halo jump into like the new metal encampment on uh, on one of these tours in like 2003. They're the ones who are our special ops for converting, converting people like this guy to, uh, to Christianity. <laughs> it is it just like, cause even just with my, what I do now that with street fight being like my job and my thing and shit is that like, there are no Christians coming and trying to like co-opt. Like there's nobody being like, you know, the Lord could also be with, they like specifically <laughs> avoid me. <laughs> I, I would love to. The Lord be, could also be with you if, if you wanted him to also also be with you. I would love to be to to see at the end of a Street Fight radio show. I would love to observe the conversation of the guy coming up being like, so have you thought about putting Jesus in Street Fight? <laughs> I, I don't think, like, it's just, it's this really weird thing where, like, I like I just don't know who those guys, maybe they were just guys that, like. Friends from home, I maybe? I, I don't know. There's got to be some vector in there. Yeah. He's still, they like, sound covering around Bakersfield at this point. They sound annoying as shit, though. They really <laughs> sound like they were just emailing them all day and being like, you know all that bad shit you're doing? You should replace that with Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the email is just so funny. Like, head is logging on to, like, brian.head.welch at hotmail.com. <laughs> And getting these messages from Doug. Yeah, maybe they were <laughs> well, just maybe they were just the, the only three of them who were online at that point. Yeah, well, that's I'm starting to think that like he received some spam email from a church and then responded to it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, that's so. That's the funny thing is that he 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 frames it as like 
it was an, it wasn't an act of humans. It was an act of God. Mm. Like all of these people kind of coming in and talking about religion and like, these, you know, seeing these sort of what he seems like random messages that are all coming together is like God telling him to come to come to Jesus. Uh, Eric gives him a, a Bible with his name inscribed on it for like, I guess, nominally Christmas. And he's like, oh, I was kind of drawn to it. <laughs> But that sucks to give somebody a Bible for Christmas. Right. <laughs> Just give him a Bible. It's not a. It's not a gift. It's like giving no. somebody a tire not tire iron for Christmas. It's a, it's a spiritual tool. I feel like I missed out on a pair of socks when you handed me that Bible. <laughs> <laughs> it's also so funny to me. Even if you're in like a particularly dark space and are susceptible and are like talking to people about God, about somebody handing you like a literal Bible. Like Molly, you tried to start reading the Bible as like a literary project. I did. Uh, the other week. Could you imagine, or not the other week, a few months ago. Yeah. Uh, could you imagine like getting into that as a reading, as a reading tool, even if you were like very low and be at in the, your mid twenties, early thirties and being like, Oh hell yeah. The Bible. Well, I mean, I also think it's kind of insane to, so, to hand someone who has no concept of religion at all like just this inscrutable text not inscrutable but dense and like really weird book it's really <laughs> weird yeah i don't know how to read it like i went to i got a college degree and i have no idea how to re- every time i try to open the bible and look through it i'm like i don't like what is this why is this organized like <laughs> yeah, this? yeah i mean i was raised catholic and each mass you got to like a little fragment of Bible, you got a chunk, and it was select. It was selections. It was the greatest hits. Yeah, <laughs> it was not like you talked about the weird parts where God tells you how which sides of the altar you need to throw the goat the goat's blood onto, which is a thing. <laughs> that's like a real. That's real early shit. But you don't get that in mass. You get the like touchy feely like yeah, you know. Yeah. Anybody who who handed me a Bible was like, you're going to find some answers in here. I'm going to be like, I, I can't get through more than two pages of this. <laughs> I don't understand. Like if anytime somebody's told me to check it out, they end up having to, after that, tell me, well, like you can get a Bible for dummies. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like I fucking mean, Jordan Peterson the- videos. We're like, no, 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 no. All the answers are here. You just have to watch all 40 hours of all of this shit. <laughs> like I, I don't want the Bible for dummies like okay. that, that where they like simplify the Bible so right. that it does make it easier because I don't want to read that dumb book. Like it's <laughs> like it's if your like, book is so dumb, you have to make an even dumber version that. of it to, to like get people in. I don't know. Anyway, the Bible dumb. Don't read it. Yeah. Well, he's he's Watch kind the of movies. drawn to it. Head, head's interested. And then so he recounts there's one morning. Um, where Doug basically comes over after he's been doing meth for three days straight and is like, we're going to church. <laughs> and Doug takes him to church and he's like, he, he says he's got like a hoodie on over his head to try to hide the fact that he's been doing meth for so long. And he says, all these people around me started raising their hands in the air. Some of them were crying. Uh, it was all too strange for me and it just freaked me out. These people were weirder than I was and I had been awake for three straight days. <laughs> But something inside me didn't want to leave. So he was like drawn to this particular. And I'm uh, this is bad that I can't remember which particular brand of Christianity he was originally involved in. But it was like the yelling kind. <laughs> the, the hooting and hollering church. 
Yeah. That's the only one I think. Well, the only church I've ever said I think I could get into is snake church, where they have the big poisonous snakes yeah. and they have them bite them. Yes. <laughs> like, I get that. That would make me like really that. anxious. I would not like that at all. <laughs> the, no, there's I th- one in Ohio, right. but there's one, in, there's one right by where I live, but you can't just go. You yeah. like have to you gotta know You got to know a guy. You got to have a snake church guy. Yeah, yeah, you do absolutely because we tried to get in a bunch <laughs> for a long time, and it was just like they ain't gonna let us in. But like, at least he went to the yelling kind of church because it's like, yeah, you know, he could have ended up going to one of those like hip, yeah, church things where yep. the guy wears the like thing around his yeah, head yeah, the mega church <laughs> like Hillsong style. Yeah, I I could maybe get into um. A little light speaking in tongues church if you just really approach it as like a kind of expressive therapy and you're like okay i'm just gonna go like shout nonsense in front of a group of people and that in itself is like a therapeutic act even if i don't really go the extra step to say uh god is speaking through my gibbering mouth (laughs) i like the ones that are in strip malls like those are the (laughs) churches that i'm like what the fuck is going on in there like how did they afford this (laughs) it's a lot of weird little churches but it is just weird that he like he was a like it's always really weird to me when somebody can go and like not be receptive of it and then leave like holy shit like i've never sat in a church in my life and been like this 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 is good this kicks ass (laughs) yeah yeah i think that's totally right i've never experienced like Oh, uh, this is a this is a good time. This was fulfilling. Yeah. I think I'll come back. Yes. Yeah. I uh, just want to leave. It's got to have time. For, it's got to happen for some people where they're just like you're just like sitting there like this rules. This owns. I love this. <laughs> this fucking kicks my ass right now. It's great. But I mean, it obviously happens for a lot of people. Yeah. Well, it happened for Head. I mean, maybe he, he also just might have been like. I mean, he's like addicted to drugs and suicidal, but he's also like tired. I think he's just like pooped. <laughs> he just needs to sit down for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. He just happened to sit in a church. <laughs> it's like, this is fine. So he, he has this experience and he's basically like, okay, I think I need to do what that lady told me like so many years ago and like accept Jesus into my heart. So he goes to a hotel room he flushes all his drugs and he basically just talks to God for like three days. Like that's how he describes it. He's, he learns how to pray and he talks to God constantly. And he's got, he kind of goes back and forth, but eventually this overwhelming feeling is just like, I need to email each member of corn individually and tell them that I'm out. Like, fuck this. I'm done. Um, so a lot of email communication. It's, it's what? 2005, 2006. Everybody's getting their first Gmail account, that connectivity, that chat functionality, you know, attachments it's finally the st- services streamlined enough to admit that you're quitting your your world popular rock band to find god over i i listened to his like thing the testimony or whatever and there was a part in it where he described that church experience yeah i, I don't know if this is in the book i hope i'm not like no no go, go for it but he's driving to church and Nine Inch Nails had like a whole place and he hears bow down before the one you serve. And that's like the thing that fucking turned him Christian. <laughs> yes. Yes. He said he says that in the book. That's and he amazing. isn't it funny that he he hears these things and he's like, oh, he God's talking to me right now. Like Trent Reznor is talking to everybody. But like this is a sign from God. Bow down before yeah. the one you serve. I mean, that song is explicitly fucking and like atheist shit. Yeah. 
explicitly against religion. And he was just sitting in a car and he was just this dumb guy that heard it and was like, oh, yeah, Jesus. That's, that's <laughs> cool, man. It, yeah. all, it all adds up. It's, it's a, a specific case of, of being on too few layers of irony. To, to <laughs> yeah. get it to work right. Yeah. So he basically, and this happens in 2005, and he announces that he's leaving corn because he has been born again. He wrote this in, two, I believe it came out in 2007. So he's not that far into his Christian journey by the time we hear about him, but it sounds, it was intense and immediate and public. And mm-hmm. so he's basically like, he's not just, he's not a converted Christian. He's like a very public almost mouthpiece for God is I think what he's thinking of himself as. So he literally, he goes from, you know, hearing, hearing the nine inch nail song to like, he makes, he had basically a press conference at his local church. Um, he, which turns into going to Israel like days later <laughs> and then MTV Jeez. comes along. So he's gone from like, you know, being addicted to meth and not really sure whether he wants to live to like, I'm living, I'm living for God, and we're going to the Jordan River, and we're getting baptized. Holy shit. It was like four days. Had he... MTV came along? MTV came. Oh, my God. Of course, they... I mean, I would have, too. Like, if if Head from Corn was like, you want to go over to Israel with me and check out, like, all this Jesus stuff, I'd be like, yeah, dude, that's, like, the way I want to go to Israel, basically. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And so he basically he's he's all in. He he goes from that to like he comes home. He's inspired to write solo music, which you can pull in maybe a solo song. And this Eesh. this song is just like, have you listened to the Head's solo music at all? I don't think I I, I maybe gave it like one shot, you know, and then like yeah. was like I, I don't remember it though. Yeah. So I mean that was so that that that's that was God like making that music through <laughs> through Head. Um, was it bad? Was like did you have you? listen to any of the solo stuff like no i wonder if it was like corny like 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 all of a sudden god starts speaking through him and it just turns into the same corny christmas christian music they play on the christian rock station right well here's the deal brian uh i can pipe molly and i through a little bit of 2008 save me for myself and we'll we'll let you know what it sounds like and we'll put it into the final episode yeah uh okay. though i can't send it to you uh there's a song on this album called Die Religion Die, which I think is interesting, but let's listen to the title track, oh, Save Me For Myself. Do, Great. Those dudes do that all the time. That's a, that's a regular thing. It sounds pretty corny, but it sounds like a band derivative of corn. It's yeah. not really trying to set out its own, which I mean, I obviously makes sense. It's not really trying to set out its own thing, but it's it sounds like he's using all the uh, the corn bag of tricks to to try to get his own thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Brett and I listened to like the last time we were on the road, we listened to Christian radio for like four hours of the drive. Oh yeah, <laughs> and like every. I don't know. I'm fascinated by that kind of music. They like all the songs are about Jesus. Like those people don't have anything else going on in their head. That's the yeah. weird thing about Christian music <laughs> to me is that it, like Christian music is a fine concept because like faith is a structuring element for a lot of people. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of elements of the world that can encompass your faith worldview. But 
quote unquote Christian music, literally every song is a fuck song about Jesus. Yeah. It's, and there's it's, no more like, you can do a song that's like, I'm going to help out my fellow man, or we rely on the strength of our friends to get us through life, or uh, here's a, a song about like the nobility of giving or something. Yeah. Like you can dress those things up poetically, sure. or even make them sound like Rage Against the Machine songs. Yeah. That's not it. It's every fucking song is about fucking Jesus. I want to have sex with Jesus. Yeah. Every yeah, it was basically like I just was like they never fall in love or anything yeah. like that where they want to sing about being in love with another person. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm in love with this other human as God ordains me to be. Like right. that is a, a song There's that a would whole, be a Christian, a huge genre. A whole institution devoted within religion devoted to loving another person and committing to them for the rest of your life. It's called <sighs> Yes. Marriage. <laughs> yes. It's a totally I mean, Christian thing you could write a billion songs about. They do not. Yeah. Uh, even even Pantera wrote a love song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they don't yeah. write them. Um, I, w- I will say about this song, uh, as, as I fade it out, uh, all that stuff that you said, Molly, about how he just was like, I want it heavy. That's the only thing yeah. I care about, making the heaviest music. This is heavier, slower, sludgier mm-hmm. than... Uh, um, uh, uh, corn, yeah. you know, it, it, it's almost a, a like stoner metal type pace, pace and stuff, but not quite slow enough. Yeah. Oh, poor guy. He's it is. Had he gone back to corn by the end of that book? No, he was still out at that point. And he also okay. said be, during his like blitz of Christianity, like <laughs> he he was exchanging some emails with. Jonathan that were unpleasant like it sounded like there was some strife there he was trying to get money out of the record label because he thought he was being unfairly um, shortchanged and then God told him he was like stop doing that (laughs) (laughs) he's like stop stop file like you know don't file this lawsuit like I don't want you to have that money Uh, and then maybe maybe that's how we we ended up with with corn again but at the at the end of this book it it seemed like he was not interested in, in being in corn again. That is, that's wild. Like I, I think I read an article not too long ago where like him and Jonathan Davis were talking about kind of what their, what their relationship was like during that Christian time. And it did sound pretty rough because Jonathan Davis is not, like Christian, he's yeah. not like a—he's not a guy that's going to go through the <laughs> through the yeah. born again phase. I don't think he doesn't seem like one. Yeah, and like uh, I just can't imagine having your friend just—I mean, I've never had a friend go super Christian. I had an uncle one time, mm-hmm. like get to a point where he was so Christian that like he was going to other Christians' house and freaking them out with his Christianity. <laughs> <laughs> he, was he was really in it. Amazing. Yeah. But happens, I mean, that's what sounds know? like that. That sounds like head too a little bit. Yeah. Is that he was, he was, he was getting really. Well, I bet it, I want to do that trip to the Jerusalem. I'm sure he had a lot to say about how amazing and powerful the Holy Land was. You know, just feeling <laughs> it permeate inside you. And when I saw that river, you know, like I'm sure he was. That was a big conversation he had. Yeah. But I don't know. You got to put that like manic up three days energy into something, and and sure. that's it. That seems a lot what like these Christian conversion experiences are is like a, a sudden shift of obsessive energy into Mm -hmm. another structure. So you just kind of, it's, it's almost, you have to do like an addiction and just dive as deep in it, into it as you can get. Yeah. And the last thing I read from him was that like this period in his life was pretty intense and that he was just like, 
maybe I was a little bit too Christian for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which he, is, went, like, he went in. He went <laughs> that's in. what you shoot for. That, like, okay, if like you're going to go through this intense thing, like everybody goes through an intense thing. I was sober for two years. So, like, it, it is an intense kind of thing you know what i mean and like uh you then like after a while you start to get used to it and then you start to feel more confident and then you start smoking weed and then you start (laughs) doing all the drugs again but he's he's you know into the christian stuff so yeah that worked out for him so i kind of wish this memoir was written like two or three years later so we could kind of get a little bit of perspective on this period because now he's back in the band Mm -hmm. the band still still christian i believe Mm -hmm. yeah uh, they have a book in them too. They totally have a book in them. They yeah. have to do, yeah. One, you know, yeah. Like it, it seems like if, like you said this at the beginning of the show, and it says that in that Jonathan Davis article, they were the last rock and roll band. Right, like they're it. They're the last big stars. That's never happening again. You know, yeah. <laughs> right, right, yeah. On one hand, he he could have easily killed himself or overdosed, and so if this is the path out of it. Good, good for head. But he just went, he went so, so in. I know you were joking about speaking in tongues, but he did, he started doing that and he actually like switched, he had to switch kind of like churches because of it, because the original church that he was saved into was like, no, 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 we don't do that. (laughs) Holy shit. He's like, no, 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 I need the hard shit. Yeah. They're like, we don't do that around these parts. And he's like, here's the thing. I really enjoyed speaking in tongues. Can you imagine, like, just, like, you go to this church and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I I mean, I think Jesus, like, nobody at the church that you were saved at had any inclination towards this. They weren't, like, talking about, like, speaking in tongues. And he just kind of picked that up out of the air for himself. (laughs) Yeah. He said, if you want to have the most faith, you can, you can on this earth learn to pray in tongues. Because it's not, that's he the thing. He's, I think he brings such an intensity to it that he brings into his, you know, musicianship. Mm-hmm. He, he can't just be a normal Christian. He has to be like the heaviest, most hardcore, living, living life on the line Christian he can be. It's cool. I think part of it is cool. Like, there's a weird thing in me is like, I sort of admire sometimes Christians because I, I, I said this recently on a show, like I would love to be able to believe in God. I don't like, I actually don't know why I don't. You know, where it's like, Mm -hmm. man, it would be so great to, like, have all this faith in this thing that everything's going to be great and everything's. But I just like my brain just immediately is like, there's no God and Christianity is corny. You know? Yeah. 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 There's there's something I also I agree. I find like admirable and that like resiliency of of spirit. But the actual like day to day mechanics of it, I find incredibly uh corny is a good word or also like creepy often uh, mm-hmm. that like the obsessive cult like uh institutions of most churches like I, I can't think of doing it within any of those kinds of organizations so I, I mean he's, he's probably not in a highly organized church but he might be he, he might be in like because he's a famo in like a bigger like i don't know what sect he, he's in but you know yeah. part of that well, sect and if he was outspoken about it i bet he is used by uh this group to to promote their particular brand Oh, hey, hell yeah. There's he I mean, like a guy that's already rich. He already had money mm-hmm. from corn, probably yeah. that doesn't really need it. Like if yeah. you can just fly him to your church to give a speech, he'll probably do it. He that yeah. guy was probably speaking at like 
so many like youth meetings yes. and shit yes. like that. Like yes. they he's the ultimate crazy. cool pastor. The cool pastor <laughs> was like literally in corn. Pastor, which pastor one of the dreads. one of the Baldwins got really into it uh, at yeah? one point and that started hanging right, out with uh, skateboarding Christian teens, and he would just be like, "Hey, man." Christianity isn't all like suits and shit. It's, we also ride skateboards. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus definitely would have skateboarded if that were available at the time. Oh uh, yeah, the Extreme Teen Bible was 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 hot. Yeah, hot commodity. Yeah, I love, I love that. Um, the only other thing I'll say about like just religion in California in particular, like there's a Joan Didion essay from Slouching Toward Bethlehem or whatever the fuck where she talked about this one guy who basically like believed he was God or believed he was embodying God. And he went into like the California desert with his fiance with just like a bottle of Coca-Cola and a map and said (laughs) that he was going to go like start the next kind of like good society. And I feel like that particular kind of like California Christian that it's, it's not just, it's not normal. It's a little bit insane that I think that he totally, slid right into yeah. slid right into the dms that w- that west coast or even western half of america like religious discovery frontier frontier christianity yeah 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 it's less uh it's it's less established yeah, yeah. than it is here so like it's the wild west almost of spirituality out yep. there yeah like no think rules. about a place like yeah. sedona right. you go anything from like snake handling christians up to the esalon institutes type stuff right you know real like new wave uh uh Upper uh, upper class like hippie bullshit. Yeah, uh, all the way yeah, back how down many, to uh, how many <laughs> to, to truck truck Chevron station evangelism. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> how, I mean, how many steps away really is that kind of California Christianity yeah. from crystals and shit like that? Like, yeah. there's I also like I've never been to California. And like, I just think everybody in, in California is into like crystals and energies and stuff. Like oh yeah, that. oh yeah. <laughs> Seems like such a West Coast thing. They like are kind of. They just don't even know it. Yeah, <laughs> the vibes. Yeah, the vibes are strong. Yeah, my my like Cal- SoCal Californian family. They could all be crystal. They people. could all yeah. Molly, Molly's met them. They could they could have like a rose quartz to harness the power of love yeah. in, out on bedside table or something. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's that's normal. So anything else from Head, Molly? Head is just, you know what Head wants you to know? God um, is great. There, there's a brief anecdote where he goes to India with his friend with whom he has started an entertainment company as God has foretold it. And he goes and builds orphanages in India. Like that's the level of, and this is once again within months of his conversion. He, 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 he's. I do have to in. hand his, hand it to him for his um, money, money where his mouth is thing if he's like going to india and like building orphanages because his the spirit has moved him that to me is more impressive than uh you know converting and then getting on mtv and yelling about it or confessing like like i said that confessional stuff earlier in the in the book where you're like that i mean whatever but that is the sort of thing where he's almost like he's redeeming himself he's shown he wants you to know that he's come to this point where it's like Okay, now I'm building houses for people. Are we cool? Now? Yes, <laughs> yes. Stuff? Am I good? <laughs> hey, God, we good. We good. Um, so the yeah, the last thing he wants you to know, he says, Jesus Christ is the only one that can make you complete. That's it. That's the end of my story. Well, on second thought, it's actually only the beginning because my life is just getting started. That's well, that's Brian Headwell. Mm, it takes him directly back to corn. 
back to corn. <laughs> yeah, I got to see them together last year. It was excellent. But so yeah, he, well, maybe uh, that's a good way to bring it back around. How was that experience? How was seeing corn in 2017? It was great. It was actually really fun. You know, the the best the best thing about seeing corn and last year was that I went with Brett, who was a dude that was like really into corn. But he's also five years younger than me. Uh-huh. So like he wasn't able to go to the concerts and stuff. But yeah. he had listened to that stuff as a kid. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, you know, I was so into it. But I just by the time he kind of got to high school when he could do it, he was more into punk and sure. stuff and like indie rock. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was just blown away by it. He was yeah. just like, I've never seen like. Just the people in this place are going fucking crazy. They're mo- like they just don't stop moving, and it is. It's a really incredible. It was incredible. It like really felt. I don't know. It just. I it just. I guess like being in that crowd again. With it, almost felt like I was there with the same fucking people. Sure, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's awesome but that older. their crowd even 20 years later is still that active because I mean I don't know we've seen a, a fair amount of legacy bands over the. Legacy bands. Yeah. I mean, I, it, uh, that seems like a put down of them, but you know, you know, bands that are like at least a generation away. Yeah. Uh, recently, and they're just not as as the the crowds just aren't as exciting as the the bands that are still up and coming. So it's amazing to to see hear a band like mm-hmm. that that has maintained that kind of energy in their shows. But my question about that show is because I know that Davis has gone on to do some like dubstep stuff like didn't he do an album with skrillex or some songs with skrillex oh, did he i think he so did. that's um, great i was just wondering if there's any like different sonic vibe to some of their songs do they do like more like electronic stuff even if it's from their later catalog they did more new songs than old songs which actually actually made me feel pretty good that it was like man people are still taking this ride yeah yeah, yeah. you know like because yeah. people were going nuts for all the songs it, and like they barely played anything off the first you know basically I went from the first corn album to issues and then after that I kind of was like yeah. I didn't listen to any more and when I go back and listen I just listen to the those albums and mm-hmm. you know that was just my time with them yeah <laughs> and, uh, yeah they didn't hardly play anything off of either any of those four albums, those first four. So it apparently like I did, didn't seem self-indulgent to me. It didn't seem like that. You're going to listen to my new shit. You know, (laughs) (laughs) it seemed like they were playing what people wanted to hear. And it, I don't know. Like they even think that they're still doing pretty well Mm -hmm. now with this type of music. And that it also feels like it's coming back around. Like, it's weird to watch something happen that has probably happened a million times where like they're going to be accepted by the rock establishment by like Rolling Stone. They're going to end up in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. Right. They're going to end up being looked upon favorably to think about like the way that they've looked for the past fucking 15, 20 years. You know what I yeah. mean? Like yeah. how people no, I, t- I totally get that them. because they, they were even at that time like even as I was just getting acclimated to the concept of popular culture and like mm-hmm. my place and my taste in it, they were like hugely popular, but like roll your eyes, ugh, hugely popular corn, you know, the, that wasn't something that e- even when it was super popular, anybody was, was like rallying around as like, look at where the culture is. We have corn <laughs> now. Yeah. Yeah. And and they're going to be looked at. I mean, this is here's another band that was able to kind of do this is Motley Crue. Yeah. You know, like if, like now, if you talk to like an old classic rock head, 
the, the people that are into like the rock and roll hall of fame shit motley crew is a great band mm-hmm. yeah you know yeah. and we're coming or it's it's the same back when motley crew was big i was into them too at a at, when i was like nine and people but like, they fucking suck this yeah. music sucks yeah, yeah. you know yeah. and then all of a sudden now it's accepted and it's it's weird it's almost like watching the rock and roll hall of fame rehab people so they still have people to induct that yeah. meant something yeah. to somebody <laughs> that's so true <laughs> well it's like that the like not very popular bands that have massive critical appeal those guys go forever with like their same relative level of 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 fans but then like years later that deep popular band always always comes back and somebody some group of people is like wait maybe that hugely popular band that resonated with like a plurality of all people everywhere. Maybe they were really good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's I, I wasn't into corn at all at the time. And now I feel more interested in them than I've ever been because some of those songs are just like, just kind of good. Like yeah. it, they're kind of fun to listen to. I mean, that to. ends up happening with basically every band we cover here is yeah. like when you learn about the guys in them and their place in the culture and society and listen to all their songs, any band worth reading a memoir of that was like usually popular. You're like, Oh, there's something in there. I get it. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. And people, people love this. Like it's just to, to discount the way that people are so loyal to this stuff. I, this this rehab has come around for like ICP recently too, where yeah. like people like me who are like sort of my, like a mind, I'm making a living doing my thing, you know, yeah. like I'm making a living doing my art or whatever like that. Like I'm inspired by ICP. Like I mm-hmm. think like, and there are a lot of people who don't even like their music who are also like kind of in my position that are super inspired yeah. by them because it was like, I mean, those guys like are insp- our inspiration and it kind of took to the point where the realization that those guys are so successful and inspirational and the realization of like oh they're still around like those are the same <laughs> feeling because when you realize that they've been around long enough that you're thinking oh they're still around you're like oh they figured it out and they got something going that was you know worth preserving for a number of people you right. know? and corn invented a kind of music like yeah. they were yes. the first to do that, you know, yeah. that's whatever it is. It's kind of important, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it wouldn't be a Chapo universe crossover if we didn't bring this up, but this weird, freaky, dark, heavy metal, insane clown rap, all this late nineties stuff is in the SoundCloud uh, stuff right now. The sound, the, yeah, yeah, SoundCloud rappers. Mm-hmm. Where it's uh, also people with like idiosyncratic beats and weird hair. Yes. We're like right back there. Yeah. That is like yeah, a lot of rappers alternately really, super silly and super serious or sad. A lot of rappers were really into fucking corn now. A yeah. lot of the like newer rappers, you start to hear like, oh, they were like super into like corn and Deftones and Limp Biscuits, which makes perfect fucking sense. Cause yeah. they would have been kids when that stuff came out and you hear it and you're like, ah, yeah, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. in a, in a certain, like if you're, you know, maybe young and really only listening to like hip hop or stuff, that's like the only guitar music that whips that yeah. would be heard <laughs> in, in like, in like if you, if most of your music view is, 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 is hip hop. Yeah. Mm hmm. But there's still guitar, like Lil Peep, R.I.P. He had a lot of guitar in his music. Like yeah. some of it was kind of heavy. And I, I think that that comes from the new metal influence. Yeah, yeah. You, uh, like I can't remember 
I wish I get like the Grammys maybe. Lil Uzi Vert showed up in like black Jinkos and a black like mm-hmm. shirt, just the same exact way that I dressed when yeah. I was younger. Like that's must be such a weird experience to be, see like a seventeen or eighteen year old like super famous rapper who's copying your style from high school. <laughs> well, my daughter is like you know go get me adidas t-shirts which was that was like corn fans yeah people that were into that kind of music like always wanted adidas like adidas fucking everything yeah and like all the stuff she wants was the same shit that i wanted the shell toes which yeah. was like a really important thing in that music jonathan davis always wore shell toes so everybody wanted them and like uh just all that stuff was so all that stuff is coming back around. And yeah. again, it, that to me is like so weird because my parents used to say to me, like they used to call Jenko's bell bottoms and they were like, well, <laughs> bell bottoms were popular when I was a kid too. And I'm like, you know, they're not bell bottoms. <laughs> 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 yeah. But the, the vibe of a Jenko is so, it's, yeah, it's so like a, different. It's like from a murder whatever. bell bottom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's stupid. They, a uh, Jenko came back like, just like fucking like two years too early. Now yeah. they're closing back up and it's like, damn, you were so close. <laughs> <laughs> you called your shot just a little too early. All right. Oh well, God. let's move confidently into the end of this episode. This has been really great. I, I think we've all come to a, a more, uh, you know, holistic understanding of certainly Brian had Welch and also corn uh, in general. If anyone listens to this and the takeaway is, ah, Jesus seems pretty cool, then <laughs> more power to you. That's fine. Uh, we don't have uh, much to do at the end of this episode. I mean, I guess we can move right into plugs. Um, we don't have <laughs> that big of an audience, but Brian, if you want to plug like Street Fight and Street Fight Tour, uh, please go ahead. We love plugs. Hey, we're going yeah. to... Uh, I don't know when this comes out. Uh, Chicago. Uh, this should be like next Wednesday. Okay, we'll already be in Des Moines, Iowa. So if Hell you're yeah. listening today, then go to Des Moines. But we'll also be in Kansas City and uh, fuck, what's the other place? St. Louis this week and next week. And so yeah, come and come and see us. I mean, we're gonna announce more dates in a little bit. So. Just streetfightradio.com or Murder Brian. I will post those things because I desperately need people to go to them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> go to the shows. It'll be like uh, hang out with all your, your corn buddies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they're socialists now. Yeah. It'll be like hanging out with a bunch of little socialists. Yeah. Like young socialists. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, get, the, get them all fucking into corn. Uh, blast, blast it before and after. Classic. I'm shooting um, for that. I'm trying. That'll make my life easier. It's you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna make it happen. There's gonna be a bunch of uh 23 and four year old Midwestern socialists who are like, yeah, but just be getting really into corn. You know that classic rock band corn. <laughs> yeah. Are you ready? <laughs> just start your show that way. How great uh, is that? That's the first line that ever hit recording for them, too. The yeah. first words are, are you ready? That's fucking incredible. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's my favorite corn song is Blind. That song rules. It's really good. Yeah, it's good. Um, uh, Molly, you want to plug anything? You know, just follow me on Twitter at Miss Molly Mary. Uh, I tweet sometimes. <laughs> it's, uh, okay. it's okay. And I will be, I'm on Twitter at Say What Again. I will be on tour with the Chapos. Uh, you can find those tour dates at chapotraphouse.com slash tour. Uh, come and yell at me about music all up and down. 
the northeastern seaboard. Sorry, not south just yet. I know that people are getting offended that we are calling it the East Coast tour, not going south of D.C. But guess what? If you live in Charleston, you don't live on the East Coast. You live in the south. I'm sorry. You don't make the rules. Or do you? I don't know. Uh, anyway, Brian, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we had so much fun talking to you. Thanks for having me on. Great, great times. As always, follow us on Twitter at and IntroPod. Send us an email at andintroducingpod at gmail.com. And our SoundCloud is, as always, at soundcloud.com slash and dash intro dash pod. Remember to subscribe to us on iTunes. Review us, too, while we're there. Uh, but please, only live, leave your most praiseworthy. Uh, send, send your love to Jesus praises there. Yeah. Please. And... We'll be back in another two weeks with another episode of And Introducing. <laughs>